0: good morning saints. It's a pleasure to be with you guys. I praise God for putting a word in my mouth. I thank my wife for coming here and supporting me. I love that we are in a ministry together. You know, I just love the relationship that our churches have together. And um, Dan and Kirk, they are very blessed in the knowledge of God's word. And I first met Dan at these Simeon Trust conferences and he was just telling me some stuff about God's word and I got to tell you you know him and Kirk there you guys are blessed because they have a deep knowledge of God's word well you know knowledge is I'm not saying I'm weak in knowledge but that is not my gift so I praise God that they were sharing that my gift is in discernment and so I've learned to hone myself and look into the truth and look into the truth of people and so I've been blessed by them and their sharing God's word. And uh, we just have been able to share each other's gifts with each other, and we've been able to comfort each other and encourage each other in this work that we're doing. And so I want to get into the scripture, Ephesians 4. And in the very first verse, it says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called." Now, in this calling and in this walk, you kind of get to the heart of the book, because the very first three chapters of the book are all theology. It's what we should think. And then the last four chapters are the practice, or the walk, or what we should do. And I love these sections of books because you get to the heart where theology meets practice. And that's where we live. And I love these sections. I love it in Hebrews. You know, you're getting all this theology in Hebrews. You know, okay, okay, I see the sacrificial system. What am I building to, guy? And then all of a sudden, I get to the end of chapter 10. I'm like, theology meets practice. Okay, I got you. That's why faith is important. And so here we get the same thing in Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. We get the heart of the book. We learn that we ought to walk as God has empowered us through Christ. But then we ask the question, how do we do that? He says, walk worthy of the calling. The calling is what we think. The walk is what we should do. How do we walk worthy of that? Well, Paul starts off, he says, as a prisoner for the Lord. He's saying, I'm qualified to give this call, almost like a veteran is qualified to throw the first pitch at a baseball game, right? He's qualified by what he's gone through to have the honor to give this call. And the first thing that he's going to point to, and what this message is about, is unity. Walk worthy of the calling by being unified. Now, he starts to praise these characteristics. And the first thing you're going to see is humility. Why does he tell us to be humble? Well, humility clears the ground for unity. You know, you can't have unity with somebody that cares so much about themselves that they don't care about you. We have to be humble. We have to lay down ourselves. We have to have gentleness. What is gentleness? Gentleness is the treatment of unity. I'm treating a person in such a way that they will not be damaged by my treatment. So when they interact with me, they are healthier than when, after, before they interacted with me. That's unity. Patience is keeping our purpose in mind. I think of it almost like the grandmother and the mother. You know, the mother gets frustrated by the things the kids is doing, right? I said that they won't stop doing this. And the grandma says, oh, you were just like that when you were younger. (laughs) Because for the mother, that's the crisis. But for the grandmother, that's just the flavor of the day. You got to keep the bigger purpose in mind. It always is something that I try to keep in mind, but it's something that I often forget, how much God has changed me and grown me. I remember one we had a a friend who was now in the ministry. And when he first got saved, before he got saved, we were about to cut him off. Because he was doing some wild stuff, crazy stuff. He wasn't saved at the time. And he kept inviting us to go to places we shouldn't go, do things we couldn't do. And so finally, me and my brother, we're like, you know what? If he keeps on with these plans that he has, we're going to have to break off our friendship with him. Well, that summer, he got saved. And the next summer, there was another friend who was trying to entice him to do the same things. And he was like, I can't believe this. This is disgusting. Why would he ever want to do these things? And we're like, that used to be you, bro. <laughs> and so we have to kind of remember where we came from. We have to keep the larger purpose in mind. Let's just think about the fact that God is working on that believer that you're dealing with. He dealt with them before they got to you. He going to deal with them after they're done with them. He's working on all of us. That's what patience is, keeping a bigger purpose in mind. He says, bearing, what's the exact quote here? Bearing with one another in love. Think about the fact that love handles messes that get in the way of our relationships. Think of the mother dealing with her baby. You know, babies do a lot of things. I got a baby right now, this baby, Boy, I'm telling you, they do all kind of messes. You know, you open up that diaper, something could spring out, right? You open up that diaper, something is in there. The baby eats, you burping the baby, the baby, you just got a brand new shirt on, just pressed. That's why I was worried before I came here, right? I'm like, I got my shirt on, I think I'm looking fresh, and all of a sudden the baby might go, right? Milk all over the shirt. But love handles messes. Relationships are messy. For you to be unified, you have to accept that mess. You have to be willing to clean that mess. It's all for this purpose. All these characteristics prove that we are eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in a bond of peace. That eagerness is being ready and looking to make it happen. We're eager. To make our unity happen. Now what's the unity of the spirit? He's talking about the unified understanding of the Holy Spirit's purpose. We all have to understand that the Holy Spirit is unifying his saints together. He is accomplishing something. We all have to understand that we have a bond of peace. Now what is that bond? Well you can think of a bond as two different things. One is it's something that holds people together. Another is it's something that restrains us. And I think in this Passage, both are in mind. Peace holds us together, but also it restrains our destructive impulses. I might want to tell you the truth, but I have to t- say it in a loving way. Why? Because I'm restrained by this bond of peace. All of this is exemplified in verse 4 through 6. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. What do you see in that passage? One. One. There's one body. One universal, invisible church. We walk down the street. You may not realize it, but that person might be part of God's church. There is one Holy Spirit who is living in all of us. There is one purpose that we have that the Lord will return and save us all. We all have that. We have that oneness in common. We have one Lord and Master. We have one faith. In other words, we have a faith that is pushed towards one being that's the Lord Jesus Christ. We have one baptism by which we publicly declare our faith. We have one God who is absolutely sovereign. His power itself is a unifying force. And so you see three triads. You see the body, the spirit, and the hope. You see the Lord, the faith, and the baptism. You see God who is over all, in all, and through all. It is pointing to us, and he is saying, Trinity, Trinity, Trinity. You got to be unified like God is unified, acting as one to achieve a single purpose. That's a high standard. But we have to have that standard that the son submits to the father. He doesn't submit to the father because he's not equal to the father. He submits to the father because that promotes the proper order and functioning of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, you know the Holy Spirit always deflects attention. He always deflects attention to the Son. And the Son does everything for the glory of the Father. We ought to have that kind of unity. Where there is an interplay of love, submission, authority, and glory. Now, he breaks into this next part. And I got to tell you, (laughs) when I first preached this passage, I tried to skip verse 7 through 10. I really did. When I was young and preaching this, I was like, what does this mean, Lord? Why is this in the middle of this passage? I started to realize it was central to the passage. And you'll notice if you, somebody who studies God's word and you look through commentaries, they will conveniently oftentimes skip verse 7 through 10 because it's something that you got to wrestle with. I think God's word is worth wrestling with. That's why he puts difficult things in there. And so when you wrestle with this passage, you'll start to learn a few things. And the first thing he says is, but grace is given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, what does that mean? It means that we have spiritual blessings in Christ. Every believer in here is gifted. Now I was noticing, I was looking at the praise team. You know, I love the praise. And I love leading the praise. And, you know, some people might accuse me of wanting to turn every song into a bass solo. (laughs) And they might be right. But here's the thing. I love looking at the people that praise God's music, right? It's something about praise. And praise should make us be thankful. And when you are thankful, you start to get filled with the Holy Spirit, right? That feeling that you feel when you start getting thankful and you start remembering what God is doing, yeah, that's the Holy Spirit saying, yes, yes, yes. And as you feel that emphasis, that's the blessing of praise. And so I'm looking at the team playing. I'm like, oh, okay, I see the bass player. Keep going, bro, keep going, right? I'm watching them playing. I'm watching. I say, what is that little drum thing that that guy is doing? He's sitting on it? Wow, okay, okay, I'm with you. And so I'm seeing this going on, but I'm noticing that they have individual gifts. The piano player is playing, she got her fingers stretched like this. Y'all see that? I'm like, does she need to stretch before she does this? How is this possible? But she's gifted, right? You had a lady come up and, and bring our confession. She was blessed with a clear voice, right? She's a likable person. Just instantly come up here and be liked. That's a gift, not everybody has that, right? You see Dan able to just explain God's word. Everybody doesn't have that gift. Each person in here who is saved is given a gift. Now, God gives a gift as he wills. You might say, hey, I want a singing gift. Well, unfortunately, that's up to the Lord. He's going to give it as he gives. And he's going to give as much as it as he wants to, or as little of it as he wants to. I'm blessed to sing on key, that's about it. But I play and sing with my bass. You might be blessed to do something else. You might have no blessings in praise, but your heart should still be with those who praise. You'll note that nobody is complete in their gifting. There is nobody up there who can play the piano, play the bass, play the drums, and play the guitar at the same time. It's not meant to be like that. We are all meant to be incomplete. Why are we meant to be incomplete so that we will be complete in one another? But I also noticed that when it says grace is given to each one, he's talking about the individuality of the saints. That even in our unity, we don't forget that we are individuals. Some people have imagined that heaven is this place where we all lose our individuality and become this merged river of consciousness. That's not what the Bible teaches Eastern religions teach that, but that's not what scripture teaches. Scripture teaches that we retain our individuality. And even in our perfect unity, our individuality in person is still to be seen. God strengthens us through our individuality, but then he gives this part that we have a hard time with. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does he mean, but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? Oh man, skip over this part, bro. <laughs> right? But what does it mean? Well, it's taken from Psalm 68. And it's not a direct quote. I know some people think it is, but if you try to find where it's a direct quote, that's where you're going to go wrong. What it is is a melodic line. It's a melodic line of Psalm 68. It's not a direct quote of 68. It's telling us what the sense of 68 is. It takes part of the verse, and then he explains it. And what his point is is that the whole psalm is about God conquering the world and taking stuff from the people that live in that world. In other words, God is raiding and plundering. And in that psalm, the people of God are blessed by God's conquering and plundering. And Paul says that that has to do with Christ. That has to do with Christ in this sense that Christ came down, conquered death and sin, and returned to heaven victoriously, and then he left gift to his people, just like uh, somebody returning from a raid would have all this stuff, and he would give it to the people who were on the home base. So it is with Christ. He descended, and he returns with gifts. Now, what kind of gifts does he have? Well, that's how the whole passage fits together. It says in verse 11, he gave. He gave. He gave spiritual men, given to explain the words of this book. What did he give? He said he had gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Apostles. We know what apostles are. Those are the ones who are empowered to write scriptures in the New Testament. Think of New Testament apostles equal to Old Testament prophets. He's talking about evangelists, those who are called upon God to share his word in powerful ways to plant churches. He's talking about shepherds and teachers. These are pastors, right? Us regular old pastors. But why does he say he plundered? and gave. What does that have connection with that? Well, where do these men come from? Each one of these men have been plundered from Satan and gifted to the church. Let me tell you a story about a man named Nicky Cruz. Anybody heard about Nicky Cruz? Raise your hand you heard about Nicky Cruz. Nicky Cruz was a gangster, right? He was a gangster. He was a Puerto Rican man who lived in New York City. He was part of one of the worst street gangs at that time. And then, all of a sudden, this man got saved. He was stolen from Satan and gifted to the church. He went back to those gangs and got a lot of those people saved. I think about a man named Rocco Morelli. Anybody heard about him? Rocco Morelli was a mafia guy. And after he got through the mafia, he decided to get even more corrupt, and he became a politician. He got into politics, and he was still dealing with the mom, and he got set up. He got set up in a sting operation where somebody sent somebody to him with some drugs and had him to hold on to it. He didn't realize that was an FBI informant. And so when he got caught up with those drugs, they had charges against him. And he was so mad, he decided he had to kill that guy. And his alibi was going to be that he was going to go to this church meeting. So, he went to that church meeting, and then the pastor started talking about how he was so angry he wanted to murder somebody. He's like, wait a second, I got something with common with this guy. He started listening to the message that he got saved. So, he got saved, and he was like, well, what am I supposed to do? I can't follow through with this now. So, he confessed that he did all those things, and he served his time in prison. And then he went back to prison, but guess what he went back to prison with? this word, this word. He was plundered from Satan's kingdom and he was a gift to God's kingdom. I'm going to talk about another man you might know of, might not know of, his name is Paul, on his way down to Damascus to imprison the people of God. And what happened to this guy? A great light shined about him. And a voice said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And that man, plundered from Satan, became the church's most powerful force. What is this passage about? You see, the verses that we might have wanted to skip explain what God is trying to do. That God is plundering Satan's kingdom and gifting those people to the church. And why is he gifting those people to the church? Well, he says to equip. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Preaching meant to stir action, preaching that is meant to be practiced, is done by these men. These men point to male headship in the church, they serve people, not themselves. These are men. Now, if you're in this room and you're a feminist, I'm sorry. God has called men to lead his church. God has called some men to be gifted to preach and explain his word. And as those men are gifted, they are gifted to give things to the people of God so that they can be put to work. And what's the work that's going to be done? It's going to be building the body of Christ to maturity. He says, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. I think of that verse as saying the blueprint that we're building towards is Jesus Christ. We're no longer children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. In other words, moved more by humans than by God. You know, I think about the fact that I was at the abortion clinic on Friday. And on Fridays, my father and I, we we go out there and we witness at the abortion clinic. And sometimes we don't feel like the people who are there before us understand us, because they're pro-life. And I get it, but I'm pro-soul. And you see, somebody can come into the abortion clinic and they can come out and they will say to me, I already killed my baby. and i look at them. And the pro-life people go away because they consider that a failure. But me, I'm like, this person talked to me? It's go time. Because even if they did commit murder, God can save a murderer. I'm pro-soul. I'm not so focused on the human issues of today. I'm not so focused about Roe versus Wade. I care about it. But that's not why I'm there. I'm there to save souls. We're not moved by every wind of doctrine. That's fads. You know, one week we got this going on. One week we got that. One week we following this preacher. One week we following that. Oh, yeah, let's look at YouTube and see who got the most views. No. We're not missed by human cunning. Paul uses a word for dice playing, right? In our community, we call it giving somebody the okey-doke. right? You're playing games with somebody. You're tricking somebody. That's not what we're doing with God's word. You know, I just watched a sermon the other day. I was at the barbershop, and they were playing a sermon. And all these guys were getting fired up by this preacher. And I just couldn't believe what he was saying because he was lying. He will get up there, and he would go through something like eight people were in the ark. And I got to tell you, there's eight people in this room who are going to go through a flood in their life. And God is going to give them hope. How did he know that? See, he was just hoping to say something that was inspirational that he didn't know to be true. It sounded good. Oh, it felt good, but it was a lie. He was dice playing. He was giving the (laughs) okey-doke. And people were sitting there listening to it and they were getting inspired. They were getting fired up by a lie. See, we don't do that. Rather, speaking the truth in love. It might be simple. It might not be any razzle-dazzle to it. But we're going to preach the word. We're going to preach what we know is true and is healthy for the saints. I'm not going to sit there and guess and hope that I'm getting somebody drawn in. Ooh, I'm going to throw out this nugget. I'm going to throw out that nugget. Ooh, I see you. I got you. No, I'm not doing that. I'm preaching God's word. I'm preaching God's purpose. God's word to the purpose that we will grow into him. I think about it almost like when I was a little kid, there used to be at theme parks cardboard cutouts with a hole for the face. And you would have a bodybuilder sitting there like this and you would try to put your face in there, right? And I think about us trying to grow into Christ as if he is that picture. We're trying to put our face in there. We're trying to see, do we fit? Christ is the cause of our growth, love, and unity. And so therefore, we preach Christ. We preach Christ. Now, I want to break this passage down for you in this sense, that to walk worthy is to be unified like God is unified with himself. Christ gave gifts, both individually and collectively, that we might be unified. And Christ plundered men from Satan and gave them to the church so that we will be unified and that they would unify us by their preaching. And therefore, myself, my father, Dan, Kurt, your elders, we all preach Christ so that we would be unified. Unity is not limited to this passage. In fact, the book of Ephesians keeps talking about unity. Look at Ephesians 1.10. He says, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. 2.14, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Verse 17, same chapter. He came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. What is he doing that for? Verse 19. So that we are no longer strangers and aliens. We are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Look at chapter 4, verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Ephesians is preaching towards unity. I love the fact that I'm here and that Kirk is at Sweet Communion. You know, in 2020, we didn't know that we were going to have this kind of relationship, but we got invited to this walk in the midst of this racial conflict that was going on because of the police shootings. And we got invited to this walk and we went next to the District 5 police station and we prayed. We walked where people were starting conflict. We walked where my brother's police officer, he was telling me people are hauling Molotov cocktails. The media wasn't reporting that. We walked where people were spouting hate. Oh, they were saying they were for peace in the community, but they hated police officers. We went there, and we prayed for peace. We prayed that the gospel would go out. When we got there, I saw the police. They had tension in there bodies they didn't know what was going to happen but when we prayed i saw them relax i saw stress leave them i saw them look at us and say thank god i don't know if those police were saved but i saw them being encouraged by the unified meeting of a mostly white church in the south side of milwaukee and a mostly black church on the north side of milwaukee why because we're unified by this one faith. It's not about color. It's about Jesus. From there we had several meetings. Kirk put on Facebook the other day that we signed this agreement that we would be sister churches, that we will walk together in faith. And since then we've been encouraging each other. We've been Through many battles. We've been meeting together. And I thank God because this passage speaks to what our churches are doing. We are working to be unified. We preach that we will be unified as the Father works through Christ, that we will be worthy of the calling, that we would walk worthy of the calling. Now, what's the calling? Well, that's the first three chapters of the book. That the Father blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. That the Father gave us in Christ an inheritance. That the Father gave us blessing and wisdom and revelation through faith in Christ. That the Father brought us near to him through Christ's peace. That the Father brought us the word through Christ's stewardship. That the Father teaches us to understand his love by revealing Christ in our hearts. That's our calling. What's our walk? Our walk is that since we have learned Christ, we ought not walk like the unsaved by lying or walking in lust. That instead, we ought to walk in love if Christ has loved us, submitting and exercising authority as Christ has exemplified for us. That we will be strong in Christ to wage spiritual warfare. That's our walk. That we would walk worthy of the calling. Say, remember Christ who's at the center of this passage, verse 7 through 10, that we might want to skip over. But don't skip over that. Because in those verses, you see Christ. You see Christ descend and become a man. You see Christ die and go into the earth. But in his humiliation, he rose by the power of the Father. And when he ascended, he gave gifts towards us, like somebody who returned from raiding the enemy. And those gifts are so that we will walk worthy of the calling by being unified. Let me pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for the giving of your word. We thank you, Lord, for you giving us this book of Ephesians, that we will walk worthy. We pray, Lord, that we will be one as you are one, that we will be unified in our faith, in our love and our passion for you, Lord. Now, we know that you've blessed us individually, and you've blessed us with separate churches, Lord, And you maintain those separate churches, but at the same time, we ought to walk in this common purpose, purpose, that we want to serve you, that we want to obey you, that we want to spread your truth to this whole world. So I pray that you will bless us in the city of Milwaukee, Lord. As we work on the north side, they work on the south side, we're going to keep on working on this city until we see more and more souls being added. In your name we pray. Amen.